0: Cover to cover with Jennifer Stone. you you worry. Happy ending. Nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money. Friday, happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys, there's your picture. Shallow, out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's throw, and today is june the twenty second two thousand and four. Did you see um the uh, episode of Six Feet Under last night? um six feet under is that HBO series about the family who lives over a funeral home in beautiful Southern California. Yes. (laughs) Yes. In the midst of life, we are in death. Anyway, each episode of the show opens with a death, usually bizarre in context, often ludicrous. And this event sets the scene or just starts the action which involves the ongoing characters. Uh, Last night... The first scene showed us a couple of young men blowing up sex dolls in a sex shop. You know, they were making jokes about it. They're these life sized plastic figures, bizarre and grotesque. They're balloons, really, but they're life-sized in the shape of women. The young men comment on the reasons for using helium, you know, so they will... Float up there. It's a porn convention they're getting ready for. They're going to make a delivery. So they load these inflated sex toys in a truck. They cover them with a net. And then, of course, they have an accident, but they don't die. They don't get hurt. The dolls are released into the air, into the sky, and they float up, up into the air. And they are spotted by a woman whose bumper sticker, the bumper sticker on her car reads, I break for the rapture. Okay? Now, she's driving along, listening to Christian radio, to music all about good sex between true believers. Anyway, she catches sight of these figures floating up into the sky and... Would you believe she rushes into traffic, reaching for the stars, reaching for the rapture, whack, her <laughs> husband later says, that he has no, no need for grief, you know. um, It was all as God wills, you know, God chose this moment, uh, six feet under, uh, is an amazing series. It always comments on the zeitgeist on what 's going down uh, <laughs> they, one night they had an argument at the dinner table at six feet under about voting for nader and I was looking through my mail today i can 't resist uh, i 'm afraid that i uh, 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 several listeners took me to task. For my pragmatism with regard to Ralph Nader, uh, told me I was old. Yes, I got that feedback too. Oh, Reagan, yes. Uh, on uh, Ronald Reagan, one listener left me a voice mail message saying that you know if you can't say anything nice. Don't say anything at all. Uh, but with Ralph, I I, I understand. I, I hope um, I hope that the listeners didn't misunderstand me. Of course, I agree with Ralph on the issues. Most of us do, certainly. Uh, we love Ralph and all he stands for and all he's done. That's the irony of this mess. Uh, but of course, um, uh, let's see what, uh, let's see what Gretchen says. She says, she says very kind things to me uh, on a personal basis, but then, she says, like so many Americans, especially of um, you and my mother's generation, pragmatism has become a religion in reaction to fear mongers. I only wish you had congratulated Ralph Nader while urging Americans um, not to vote for him or the Green Party this time around. Well, I, I think I did. I read from um, uh, Henrik Hertzberg's piece in The New Yorker. Uh, Hersberg details, gave a long list of all of the the achievements of Ralph Nader, uh, his legacy, but he also said that his legacy may be George W. Bush uh, after the next election. Now, Gretchen goes on to write, Nader is the only presidential hopeful who is still champani- championing the ideal of democracy. He is championing... I can't say that word. Anyway... In my opinion, it's the only ideal the United States of America has going for it. Unfortunately, the U.S. of A., like the rest of the world, is proving to be unworthy of any kind of democracy. Oh, dear, she didn't mean that. Uh, okay, she goes on to say there are moral and pragmatic reasons for ridding the U.S.'s highest office of George W. and his appointees. But pragmatism is a double-edged sword. Where would the civil rights struggle be in this country if it were not for the words, we the people, uh, all men, even if they are male, white, and landowners, are created equal? And she goes on at great length about Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King, Jr. And uh, she points out that Ralph Nader is attacking the very core of the plutocracy that is keeping this country from becoming a democracy telling us that we don't have to cave into a two-party system when those parties don't represent us. God knows that's true. He's saying we don't have to be consumers represented by corporations who don't have our best interests at heart. Indeed, indeed. Uh, She says, if we let George W. steal another election in this country, we deserve him. Uh, Because Americans don't even know how to be grateful for Americans who have the guts to stand up for the ideal of democracy. Anyway, she says that she's hungering for some democracy, and she says, thanks for inspiring me to have an opinion. Oh, 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 yes, indeed, truly, truly. Uh, it's such a difficult, such a difficult call. I hate to be practical. I hate to be pragmatic. I want to be romantic about this thing, but I can't help but believe that politics is and always has been the art of the possible, especially here in the U.S. of A. Of course I agree with Ralph, but until we get instant runoff voting, proportional representation, or until we let that electoral college go into the scrap heap of history till then, it's always down to a two party finish. Nation does seem to be close to a fifty fifty split just now. I I uh I just do the math. I only wish Ralph Nader could have uh, uh powerful voice, a network of his own, a place in the national conversation, you know, without risking a democratic victory by being on the ballot. It's such a contradiction, friends. Uh, yes, here's another letter saying, let us together focus our efforts to vote Bush out by working on the millions not registered and not voting. And stop perpetuating the false blame game of the past. Yes, indeed. That's Dorothy. Thank you, Dorothy. She's right, of course. Uh, Get out there and get people registered. That is the name of the game, folks. And speaking of politics, Bill Clinton is coming to town. He'll be here next Tuesday. A week from today, he'll be at Cody's Bookstore. I think the one on Telegraph, but... You know, thousands of people are planning to go see him, so I'd call the bookstores and check it out. Uh that's at noon lunchtime next Tuesday. Call the bookstore and find out what the deal is. I understand you have to buy a book to get a ticket. And I'm not sure what's happening there. The book is thirty five bucks. Aha uh-huh. uh, if you can't afford the thirty five bucks. Tune in tonight on CNN. If you have cable television, turn on CNN at 9 p.m. on The Larry King Show. Bill Clinton will be there taking phone calls. His autobiography, My Life, hit the bookstores two days ago at just under a 1,000 pages. His editor is Robert Gottlieb of Knopf. Clinton has already given a lot of speeches and interviews on the TV, he was on uh, 60 Minutes Saturday night. <laughs> it was very funny with Dan Rather. He was trying to show him how he got Arafat and Sharon to take... Uh, well, no, though, he was talking about when they had to shake hands, and he was trying to show him how you keep, uh, keep someone from kissing you when you shake their hand, and I think Dan Rather was terrified. Bill Clinton was going to kiss him. Anyway, the bit on 60 Minutes was fun, but the best speech, the best... Um, uh, talk that he gave was to the book people at Knopf. There was a room full of folks who were going to have to sell this opus, you know, in hardback. Two million copies already pre-sold. Uh, this is a phenomenon. Um, New York Times slammed the book but good, you know, called it sloppy and self-indulgent. As if that mattered. Uh, Joe Klein, the, uh, the guy who wrote Primary Colors, you know, uh, he didn't write the screenplay for the movie. Actually, that was Elaine May. She's my favorite. But anyway, Joe Klein says that the first half of the book is the best part. That's the first 476 pages. I'm looking forward to that because it's all about uh, Bill Clinton's childhood. That looks like a fascinating tale, uh... The second half of the book is a record of the presidency that is um, a blow by blow account of Clinton's 8 years in the White House all the way through the impeachment. Uh the buzz I hear is that Clinton didn't get around to writing the second half of the book till this past March. That's that's cutting it a little bit close. And of course he got a terrific advance made his fortune. I hope I hope that he and uh his good wife, have, um, uh, been able to pay their debts now, uh, you remember those legal bills that were the result of the right-wing sting operation, I am one of those who is absolutely convinced that, uh, Bill Clinton was more sinned against than sinning, uh, however, um, well, as Hillary Rodham Clinton said, HRC, we call her, uh, her husband was the target of a vast right-wing conspiracy. Uh, I buy it, hook, line, and sinker. That's not to say that Bill Clinton didn't walk right into their little trap. My question to him would be, why did you not do as Thomas Jefferson did? Why did you not simply refuse to answer, refuse to respond to these uh Accusers, now, I know the situation was not analogous. I know that times have surely changed. Nevertheless, I do feel that it was the president's duty not to fudge, not to lie. To remain silent is a different matter. I mean, it seems to me he should have figured it out that once he was cornered, uh, he was compromised. Why not simply take the fifth and at least give off the appearance of a gentleman, I mean? I wonder, uh, would they have been able to impeach Bill Clinton if he had simply said he was unwilling to discuss a private or personal matter? I'm one of those Democrats who can forgive almost any sexual behavioral lapse if it's consensual. But I find it hard to forgive the fact that Bill Clinton risked the welfare of the nation, well, the welfare of liberal Democrats at any rate, uh, and that he did it just to scratch an itch, so to speak. Uh, I mean, it's clear that he didn't love that woman. Uh, In fact, uh, he himself said this week on C-SPAN that he'd had a moral lapse. Uh, Here's a quote I think he said that he did what he did, because he could. Now that takes a lot of uh, self examination. Uh, the pundits are saying that he spending too much therapy. <laughs> I think actually no nobody can ever have too much therapy. Um, uh well yes they can. Anyway, whether the man is blamed for the abuse of power or just for an astonishing lack of discretion, uh I feel that at some point, Bill Clinton managed to turn Greek tragedy into a Roman farce. And that the right wing then was, uh, you know, free, free to attack. And they closed in, you know, like buzzards there, you see, they said, just white trash. The truth is, uh, I perceived this to be all about class, not just, uh, you know, political animosities. Uh, they felt that Bill Clinton was not in their club. Um, Jimmy Carter had a little trouble along these lines. Uh, I think the Republicans saw Bill Clinton as an interloper, upstart. You know, parvenu, how dare you think he was entitled to be in the ruling class, in their clique. And even more, I think, I think that there was something about, well, let's just say, something subjective. How dare this man have erotic powers that some of those men may have envied, you know. I kept thinking if we had thrown a moniker to each one of those gentlemen in the Congress, you know... Things might have been different, but I'm ashamed to admit that I myself uh, thought or... Yes, I did think that uh, JFK would never have been caught with his pants down. A clever womanizer always covers, I'll call it his tracks, uh, always picks discreet women and always knows just who can be trusted, who will keep her mouth shut. In truth... As a Lothario, you know, Bill Clinton has proved to be a real amateur. And this, I must say, is why he has turned out, well, I'm not sure, but I think he's turned out to be a genuine nice guy. He's like a boy with his hand caught in the cookie jar, you know. Chagrin, shame, that sort of thing. I think you know he was raised by his mom, women. A lot of people will disagree and presume that he's still He's uh, <laughs> still a womanizer, I don't know. Uh, I don't think that's any of our business, certainly not uh, now, and probably not then, as I see it, uh, he probably is sorry that uh, he allowed them he allowed them to trip him up. He, he messed up. It's kind of, kind of, he's the new feminist male. I think that's what it is. He sincerely tried to keep his wife and his daughter, and he worked to straighten it out. Uh, self-indulgent, gosh knows. Uh, both wife and daughter were, well, are strong women. They're certainly not afraid to demand absolute commitment. That's the way it's done these days, uh. Of course, I'm the sort of woman who's impressed when a man submits to lengthy therapy and when he is willing to state that he's deeply concerned about his daughter's opinion, her judgment of him, as well as uh, to speak of his wife's feelings. In my day, when I was young, I lived with a father who was so overbearing, um, none of his children could, well, would rebel, I remember running away and acting out and all that sort of thing. But when I was the age of Chelsea Clinton, most of my efforts were spent trying to keep one or the other of my uh, four stepmothers in ignorance of my father's uh, lurid affairs. His, uh, his uh, attitude was always to laugh and say, do as I say, not as I do. Uh, yes, the Permissive Society for... for uh, men, may be changing, and I guess for all his womanizing, Bill Clinton has managed to become an object lesson for many men, men struggling to keep it all together, to have a real marriage, a modern marriage, trying to be honest, for gosh sakes, not only with their partners, but honest with their children. In our culture, I have to say, this is something very, very new. JFK, um, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, was an unrepentant womanizer, as we all know now, and his wife, Jackie, she somehow managed to put up with the arrangement. I think uh, caused her a great deal of grief, but she decided to stick with it. Uh, you remember that Jackie was much younger than her husband, And back in 1960, she settled for the role of glamorous consort. Um, And she did loving mom, that sort of thing. But uh, some people say she was Jack's White House decorator. She was certainly the best of her breed. Subtle, silent, you know, mysterious, beautiful, that soft, soft voice. She took out her angst in shopping sprees, especially in later life, I remember... Her 40th birthday, uh, Aristotle Onassis, her then husband, gave her a solid gold Oscar. Yes, perhaps one of the greatest actresses of the 20th century was uh, Jackie Kennedy Onassis. By that time, by the time she was 40, she was certainly a skilled celebrity princess. A queen, actually. She pulled that off. Uh, I think of her, I think of her as a throwback to the French court in earlier centuries, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Something of a trophy, though, and today's woman is not so easily cast in that role. There's still a few such women, but most of the women, well, I get the impression, I hope I'm right, that a lot of women around the world today, uh, need to be persons, that is, to be defined by what they do, as well as by the men they marry and the children they have and that sort of thing. Of course, Laura Bush, I think, quit the library when she married, but that's her choice, that's her choice. Doubtless, managing George W. is a full-time job. Hillary Clinton, on the other hand, used her opportunity. She became the first first lady to take political power directly. She seized power, no question about it. When her portrait was unveiled at the White House uh, a week ago, the that's the painting alongside Bill Clinton showing them as the uh, White House couple they were. Uh, but when they uh, had the unveiling, George W. was moved to remark that it's the first time a senator's portrait has hung in the White House. She took the broken eggs and made an omelet, folks. I think it's awfully funny. There's an episode uh, of The Sopranos on HBO in which the wives of the mafia criminals talk about Hillary. They're having lunch in this posh restaurant, all these women talking about their marriages and their divorces and... uh, their life choices, and the wife of Tony Soprano. She's the leading lady in the series, Carmela. She points out to these other women that Hillary is a success story, that Hillary took the pieces and put them all together and, you know, uh, constructed her own political career. Uh, She actually says that Hillary is an example to us all. I couldn't help but hear a feminist script writer uh, somewhere behind that scene. Lately, the Soprano script writers keep putting in all these liberal themes, but they mix it right in with all the mayhem and the murder and the bloodshed. It's confusing, to say the least. I guess, though, uh, these criminal families have a great deal in common with um, the CEOs in our culture, the corporate uh, ruling class... I wonder what ethics teachers do with a modern mix like that, you know? Bad guys who have good impulses, kind of like humanity. There are larcenous women who do anything for their friends, for their children. There are teenagers in the series who look at their criminal parents and just shrug and go to work for labor unions or the ecology movement, whatever. Anyway, I don't want to start in on crime and capitalism. That's a little bit too complicated, of course. That is what this is all about, from Tony Soprano to Bill Clinton to George W. Let's see, Bill's book is $35. Two million have been sold even before it hit the bookstores. It's a brave new world these days, a brave new world that has such hucksters in it. The buzz is that there has been a little rivalry between Bill and Hill, Bill and Hillary. Uh, apparently, his book has been six times as successful as her book. Uh, just shows to go you, it is always the repentant sinner, always the bad guy gets more attention. I do look forward to reading about uh, Bill Clinton's childhood it has a lot in common with my own, um, you know, medical family, uh, the alcoholism. Uh, he said that his editor, Robert Gottlieb, asked him at one point, didn't you know any sane people as a boy? Clinton points out that when he was a kid, he he was just paying attention. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if he has in the book... um the bit about, I think, when he went to England when he was a, a scholar in London, a Rhodes Scholar, I guess, he, he went off looking for the uh, the home of Dylan Thomas, the poet, and his car broke down in Swansea, and he never got there. Last night, I was looking through my uh, notebooks, and I found a picture of Dylan Thomas' workspace. It's a, a little cabin with some cockeyed little pictures hanging there it 's just a table and chair and so forth it's a beautiful picture, and the view's lovely from the cabin. I'm going to save that in case Bill Clinton turns up here at KPFA. Uh, maybe he's gone back and found it. Uh, maybe he'll get to uh, dylan thomas's cabin. I think that's where he was headed when he was young uh, should have been should have been a writer, he said yes. Uh, at one point, and Hillary told him, no, he had to go and be with the people because that was where his talent lay. Uh, oh, let's see. Bill Clinton's mother and grandparents did raise him with a great deal of love, and his fatherless early boyhood certainly seems to have been comfortable and cozy. I think that's what gave him his good start. But when his alcoholic stepfather came on the scene, he had to protect his mom from... Abuse And, you know, that's the sort of thing that gives a young man a feminist perspective. Yes. It is true that Bill Clinton has the capacity to feel the pain of others. It's pretty much as some folks, you know, the, the folks that joke about his sensibility or his sensitivity or his new age um, romantic feelings about, oh, what is it, the people Nevertheless, I would ask, if most of us don't wish that our present leaders had even a little capacity to feel, to feel the suffering of their fellow men, um, at least a capacity to pay attention, God knows. uh, I have a wonderful letter here from a listener. I want to give you a new word, folks. It's from my friend, my pal, Paul, he writes to me a lot here. And uh, he's given me a word that means the government of a state by its worst citizens. And I would suggest to you that Bill Clinton is not one of our worst citizens. <laughs> but we've sure got him in office now. The word is kakistocracy. No kidding. Look it up in your Oxford dictionary, your big dictionary spelled K A. K-I-S-T-O-C-R-A-C-Y. Kakis, kakas, kakistocracy. Somebody will call and tell me the right way to pronounce it. It means the government of a state by its worst citizens. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy. As you can, there's your picture. Drop the shadow. Dick Cheney says the American way of life is not.